Our presenters tonight are Nicole Scheidler and Brian Stoll Mulholland. Mulholland? All right, close enough, they, they tell me. Um, Nicole's a PhD student in uh, biology here at Notre Dame, and Brian is a PhD student in math. Um, my first memory of Nicole is uh, her, refute, her and um, this five-year-old girl uh, arguing about if a Pokemon was, was, was real or not, um, or was accurate. And that, what type? Uh, and that's actually really relevant today uh, for some reason. Um, and the first time I met Brian, I remember distinctly uh, uh, that uh, he's the one that introduced me to um, Shorts Until December, um, which I was like, I knew this place was cold, and I was like, how do you do that? Um, but uh, these speakers are both very close to the Holy Spirit, as they'll tell you uh, in their talk. Um, uh, so at this moment, I guess I'll hand it over to them. Thank you, Chris. Yes, thank you. Uh, well, I always have a problem with microphones because they seem to make me even louder than I normally am, and most people think that's too loud. So Just a little bit. Uh, so yes, I'm Brian, and I'm glad to be here today. Um, I think one of the first things that Nicole ta- and I talked about when we were asked to talk about life in the spirit, more specifically kind of talking about charismatic and charismatic renewal, uh, was we wondered what other people's perceptions were. If maybe they haven't had it, maybe they've heard of it before, but if you heard the word charismatic and you thought about faith, what are some things that may come to mind for you guys? Just shout it out. Pentecost. Pentecost. That's really good. All right. Dance. Dance. Protestantism. Protestantism. Speaking in tongues. Anything else? Feelings. Did you just say crazy? What? Sorry? <laughs> Healings. Healings or feelings? Healings. Okay, healings. Okay. Unity, community. That's a really good one. Yeah, so I, we wanted to start off with this because... Um, when, when talking about charismatic spirituality, I think that people bring to the table a lot of different perspectives and a lot of it, um, they, they bring a lot of uh, conceptions, some of which are really wonderful and beautiful associations and some of which are a little bit controversial. Um, and that was actually my state when I first sort of understood and came to know the charismatic spirituality was um, a little bit more of the controversial side of things. And so we'd like to help you guys um, become more informed about how charismatic spirituality is actually incorporated into the body of the church and that it is actually encouraged. And we'd like to give you an overview of some of the history um, of the charismatic movement and also a little bit about um, what it is in your own personal spiritual life and how that's manifested and how you guys all are probably practicing a little bit of charismatic spirituality without even knowing it. Do, do, do. Mm. Uh, because part of what I've found, at least, when I talk to people is a lot of people incorporate three different things into being a charismatic. They think charismatic people who are part of the charismatic renewal and modernists are all the same topic, that all of them share the exact same spirituality. And so hopefully we're going to talk a little bit more on just for a little while the charismatic spirituality and then also talk about one of the more modern fruits of it, which was the charismatic renewal as well. Um, But also to kind of associate or disassociate modernism, which... Uh, A lot of people think that both of those are very interconnected. There can be modernists who are very charismatic and charismatics who are very modernists and people who are not charismatic at all who have more modernist tendencies. But uh, So that's why we kind of wanted to start that way and kind of dive into a little bit of the history and going back into scripture where, where our faith is founded. We should talk a little bit about what we mean by the charismatic spirituality. So what is it that Brian and I say 
or our meaning when we say charismatic spirituality? And in fact, what does the church mean when they say that? So um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, I want to start off with the, cate- um, the catechism of the Catholic Church. It's the normal one. <laughs> um, so uh, in um, section 688, um, talking about uh, the belief in the Holy Spirit, um, we have the church saying, the church, a communion living in the faith of the apostles, which she, t- um, which she testament transmits is the place where we know the Holy Spirit. In the scriptures, he is inspired in tradition to which the church fathers always timely witness. In the church's magisterium, which he assists in the sacramental liturgy. Um, And then there are several more things before we get to in the charisms and ministries by which the church is built up. In the signs of the apostolic and missionary life. Um, and in the witnesses of saints through whom he manifests his holiness and continues the work of salvation. So this is really just sort of emphasizing that that we do know the Holy Spirit, that he works, that he is manifested in the church through charisms and through signs, and that these actually can be seen in examples of our saints. Um, In addition, we get to the actual... Um, this is Article 7, 799, where it talks about charisms in particular. And it says, um, whether extraordinary or simple and humble, charisms are graces of the Holy Spirit, which directly or indirectly benefit the church, ordered as they are to, to her building up to the good of men and to the needs of the world. And um, Charisms are to be accepted with gratitude by the persons who receive them and by all members of the church as well. So when we're talking about, and I, there's several paragraphs, and I don't want to like continue in, on and on and on, um, but when we're talking about the charisms, um, we're talking about gifts of the Holy Spirit that are or, ordered to the building up of the church. And then there are many, many gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, there, are, there are gifts of ministry, um, gifts of administration, gifts of teaching, of wisdom, of knowledge, of prophecy, of various gifts that we actually derive from the scriptures and then also see practiced in her body through, the, um, through, through her members of you know, the, us. <laughs> and so when I try to boil down what is a charismatic what I take this on is charisms is this focus on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so a charismatic is someone who looks to cultivate these gifts of the Holy Spirit within themselves and looks to build up a community through the charismatic gifts of the Spirit, these different, um, this, this different kind of perspective of the relationship with the Trinity. Obviously... We have this relationship, very important relationship with God, and he has these three unique uh, persons within him. And what I find when talking to a lot of people is a lot of people most easily identify with Christ because it's very easy to read about his life, be able to identify um, the actions that he does, uh, what he chooses, what he says. And then a lot of people also identify with the father a lot because of uh, kind of the fatherly figure that he has, and we all have a, all have a father ourselves, and so it's very easy to say, okay, um, I have this experience of my earthly father, and so I can kind of relate that to my experience with God the Father. And we a lot of times emphasize these two relationships, but what I find a lot of times lacks in spiritual development is what is our relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. And to me, a charismatic is someone who tries to emphasize their relationship and cultivate that relationship with the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, come into me, fill me up, and use me to be able to express and build up my church, uh, build up Um, my church. So the Holy Spirit is trying to be able to have this relationship to have you be an instrument of God's will and being able to focus uh, specifically on that, which is why, as we kind of said before, many of you probably 
have charismatic tendencies because as of all, out of all, um, out of all Christians, we're supposed to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to let the Holy Spirit guide and direct us. And so to me, charismatic is more of that emphasis on that relationship. Um, and with that, there becomes a lot of terminology that people have and being able to talk about and practice in cultivating this relationship with the Holy Spirit. And in Scripture, uh, St. Paul actually talks about this manifestation of the Spirit and the charismatic gifts that are associated with people. Uh, And he expects, he kind of expects that a baptized person be able to start demonstrating different charismatic gifts. And as kind of Nicole was going through them, a lot of people think of the more glamorous, uh, I guess, I don't know if that's the best word to use, glamorous gifts. More visible. Visible gifts. But Paul talks about how both teaching, being an apostle, uh, and administration even, those are different types of charismatic gifts too. And a lot of times in our... uh, Instant gratification culture, I, don't, I would guess I would want to say, those are overlooked in case of wanting to look at the shiny charisms. Right. Additionally, um, the Holy Spirit really builds on what is the nature of us, right? So, like, grace builds upon what's there in nature and, and makes it more than what it, what it would be without grace, sure? So, um, so a charismatic gift such such as with teaching or administration, a person might have a natural talent or natural knack for these sorts of, th- sorts of things. Um, and so as they are growing in, in spirituality and growing in closeness to the Lord and asking him to be present and part of their work, they might not actually notice that, wow, my work in administration or in teaching <laughs> is really bearing like fruit for the Lord. Or maybe they are noticing that, but they don't call that um, a charismatic gift or, or a charism of the, of the spirit. Um, and, and in reality, that is just as much um, a charismatic gift and an expression as, as some of the more visible gifts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to kind of go back to scripture, in 1 Corinthians, this is kind of where a lot of, when people look to charismatic, this is kind of the first passage that people see. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit. There are different forms of service, but the same Lord. There are different workings, but the same God, who produces all of them in everyone. To each individual, the manifestation, the spirit is given for some benefit. To one is given through the spirit, the expression of wisdom. To another, the expression of knowledge, according to the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit to another mighty deeds, to another prophecy, to another discernment of spirits, to another varieties of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit produces all of these, distributing them individually to each person as he wishes. And then he actually, Paul even goes on to talk about later and says, now you are Christ's body and individually parts of it. Some people God as designated in the church to be first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then mighty deeds, then gifts of healing, assistance, administration, and varieties of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work mighty deeds, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? Strive eagerly for the greatest spiritual gifts. And then this is when he goes on to talk about love being the greatest gift of all, um, which is where you kind of have to start with, of course, is love. But all of these, char- these charisms that we've talked about, that Paul talks about, is gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us that as a charismatic, you look, you cultivate, and you try to build up your church, the ch- God's church. Right. So these gifts are actually very important within a community context. So 
what, what Christ is doing is, is making us depend upon each other, and we all express these different gifts. And this gift of administration, that's not helpful or useful to me alone. It's useful within, within a community. And I think that's something else that we didn't quite mention, is that there are gifts of the Holy Spirit that are given to all of us in baptism that are essential for the Christian life. And that essentiality, um, you know, is is essential for your personal salvation, whereas the charismatic gifts um, are, are usually more so for the benefit of the community than for the benefit of the individual. And so within charismatic spirituality, there comes this emphasis on the Holy Spirit, the building up of the church and community because of that, because of the nature of these gifts. But a good thing to point out there is kind of these uh, sanctifying graces that we receive in baptism, um, they're intimately connected with the charismatic gifts as well. Uh, In the Acts of the Apostles, uh, for example, um, uh, Peter sees a man who I believe starts, I'm trying to remember the exact scripture, but starts to prophesy. And Peter realizes he hasn't been baptized, but he knows that this manifestation of the gift is a gift of the Holy Spirit and, uh, a, and that this person has been touched by the Holy Spirit, so this person should be baptized by water as well. And this is where um, kind of there's a lot of confusion that comes with Catholic uh, talk about charismatic spirituality too is a term that we often use is baptism by fire or baptism by the Holy Spirit. And the reason why baptism, the word baptism is used, is because it's so intimately connected with baptism as in the sacrament. And baptism in the Holy Spirit is a special outpouring of grace um, and becoming full of the Holy Spirit uh, yourself. Um, Becoming full with the Holy Spirit yourself and being able to manifest these charismatic gifts to be able to build up your community. But the apostles saw so much of a connection originally between uh, baptism by fire, baptism by the Holy Spirit, and baptism by water, they said that one could not be without the other. Uh, And that's why nowadays we use this term baptism, even though it itself isn't considered one of the seven sacraments. Um, baptism by the Holy Spirit. Yes, baptism by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, and uh, and and where this kind of comes from, also scripturally, is obviously we have John the Baptist who is baptizing people by water, and he kind of prophesies and said, "One that is greater than I is coming, but he will baptize you by the Holy Spirit and with fire." And this is another kind of indication of the completion of like the whole part of baptism is the sacrament where we are baptized by water, but also this outpouring of the Holy Spirit in which we are baptized by fire and the Holy Spirit as well. You guys have probably experienced something um, where uh, perhaps you grew up cradle Catholic and then there was a certain point in your life where you had some sort of experience that made Christ Um, very tangible in your life, that his presence became something, um, you know, that you could viscerally do, you could not viscerally do without. You you came to know him in a much more personal way. And a lot of times, this can happen through like a slow, um, a slow accumulation of knowledge and a slow accumulation um, of sort of prayer and um, but it can also happen kind of all at once where you have this sort of valid moment that just changes everything in your life it's a new perspective Um, a lot of people will call this a conversion experience but if you've already been baptized this isn't necessarily what you would call a conversion experience Um, that is kind of what we mean by baptism of the Holy Spirit it's this new burning desire for the Lord and um, but also a greater understanding of the Lord's presence in your life. So you were already baptized, but now you're coming to this greater understanding of the presence of the, you know, of the Lord in your life. You know, what happened there? Well, it was stirred up in your soul. It was, 
it was made known to you in a different way. And that's what we mean by baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's this sort of personal exception of acceptance of the Lord. Um, and, and he continually invites us to that. And we might have several experiences of this, or it might be very, very slow. Um, but I, I just wanted to sort of iterate. There are some, some, uh, some charismatics who, who believe that you can only be baptized by the Holy Spirit if you're prayed over. And I think that that is one way that you are baptized by the Holy Spirit. But I don't think that's the only way. I think that's only one way. Um, if, if you're prayed over. That, but I think you can come to this slow revelation um, of the Holy Spirit and of the Lord in your life in a very personal way. Uh, someone earlier mentioned, uh, mentioned a lot about charismatic. Um, when they heard charismatic, they thought of Pentecost. And that's where a lot of people also see the charismatic renewal of the Holy Spirit's descent. It's a very specific time where we see in the Bible the Holy Spirit coming down and filling the people and the apostles go out and they evangelize and they're able to uh, be able to spread the gospel using charismatic gifts like tongues, which uh, is talked about there. Um, What... I, I mean, I love Pentecost, and we can, but many people have heard that story, and we could go into it a little bit more. But to me, as I read through Acts, we see Pentecost and this big moment. If you just look a couple chapters down, halfway through chapter 4, uh, my Bible titles it actually Prayer of the Community. And other Bibles that I've seen have the little subsection called Uh, the little Pentecost, uh, where the last verse is, as they prayed, the place where they gathered shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And this is another, I think, example of the ministry of the charismatics of the early church. They received the Holy Spirit, many of the apostles at the time, uh, during Pentecost, but that wasn't the only like outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There are other moments throughout history where the Spirit pours out on a place, pours out on a people for the purpose of renewing this evangelization to go with boldness. Um, in fact, our early church, fa- so we hear about St. Paul. But our early church, some of our other early church fathers, which I am not a Latin or Greek scholar, so I apologize for making this, these names sound terrible. But besides Paul, um, also Tertullian, I don't know, and Cyril, one of, they had a lot of baptismal exhortations where they told you to expect and seek the charismatic gifts. And Hillary, which I assume this is not Hillary Clinton, um, but Hillary continued to urge the faithful to actually use the charismatic gifts of prophecy, healing, and teaching administration. And our early church fathers really saw the importance of the charismatic gifts and also that special relationship with the Holy Spirit in the fast growth of the early Christian communities. Yeah, um, just to add to that, at that time, many Christians were actually converting as adults. And so they're being baptized as adults and receiving our Lord. They're making a really incredible life-altering decision that could possibly put them, you know, in danger of, of their own life. And then as we move forward in the church, sudden, and, and that's why we see the association with the charismatic gifts and baptism, right? And then as we move forward in the church, um, you know, the work of evangelization of the, civil, of the Western world had, had been greatly done. And so now we are having um, infant baptism. And you don't really expect infants to be able to express this at this time in their life. They're not very developed. Their brains aren't developed yet. Um, and, and they really can't have a personal experience just because of the capacity of their developmental stage. Um, and so 
that's why we see, um, you know, as we're going further into the church, that it's a slower uh, turning into, it's a slower growth in, in the Holy Spirit and a slower growth towards the charismatic gifts. And sometimes they're not even recognized. So now that's a little bit about, I mean, you, you can look through a lot of scripture here. Um, this book that I have, Christian Initiation and Baptism in the Holy Spirit, it, evidence of the first eight centuries. It's eight centuries kind of going through the early church, talking about first the scripture and then our early church fathers, all about this charismatic movement uh, that started really the church. And now let's fast forward to kind of now where are we at? Um, because we talk about the charismatic gifts, the apostles going out. What, what is the purpose of charismatic spirituality in this modern day? And also, where have we seen this? Um, my first thought is that you see charismatics with not that by that name throughout all of history. Specifically, the saints. I see a lot of the saints who develop an intense relationship with the Holy Spirit and are guided um, to use that relationship. Uh, and you see manifestations of um, the charismatic gifts. Uh, one who is kind of most popularly thrown out as more modern is uh, Padre Pio. Uh, and, you know, people talk about bilocation, for example, and different spiritual gifts that he had. He also talked and prayed in tongues. Um, he had a lot of those very more visible spiritual gifts, including the stigmata, that manifested him. And throughout many of the mystics of the church... Uh, gifts of knowledge, gifts, gifts of prophecy. Yeah, gifts of knowledge, gifts of prophecy, that you can see throughout the church, like... Different charismatic elements in the saints' prayer lives. I'd like to throw out one of my favorites, St. Teresa of Avila. So she's a really, really intense woman, and um, she was very academic, uh, a doctor of the church. And um, she, she was just incredible, but she had this fire and real um, intense uh, relationship with the Lord and in particular with, um, with the Holy Spirit. And she actually talks about, um, speaking in tongues. So praying with the words, um, with, with words that don't have order unless the Lord give them order so that it's, but that it doesn't even matter to her just so long as she prays him as perfectly as she can. So this is actually, I mean, she actually writes about this and this experience in, in her diary and, um, and so this is an example of some of the charismatic gifts and just sort of this outpouring and indwelling of the spirit. I love her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we kind of reach around this time, uh, and many of you guys may have heard of the charismatic renewal. And from my perspective, again, without knowing God's plan uh, myself, um, what I kind of saw was it's one of those moments for another little Pentecost that happened where some people gathering at Duquesne University in Pittsburgh, I don't know anyone from Pittsburgh here, but coming together and praying and asking for this relationship with the Holy Spirit and this gift of the charismatic gifts to become down upon them so they can help grow the church. And as the Holy Spirit does, he answered their prayers, and they began to spread and be able to rekindle and build up the church uh, through an emphasis on these charismatic gifts. Um, and there was some skepticism at first, but to kind of give you... There was a lot of skepticism. <laughs> there was a lot of skepticism at first, uh, because one thing that I think was very beneficial is it allowed us to have some more ecumenical movement. We were able to see the benefits of the relationships with the Holy Spirit that our Protestant brothers and sisters had, and they saw this we saw this relationship, and we saw where maybe we hadn't emphasized that in our own Catholic faith life as often. 
And so those Spiritans in Pittsburgh came, and they talked, and they read from their Protestant brothers and sisters, and wanted to renew that and have that little uh, Pentecost there. And so there was some skepticism because some people said, well, the Pentecostal movement is, um, I'm sorry, the charismatic movement is just a Protestant movement in the Catholic Church, a new Protestant movement, where the charismatics kind of saw that this is a place where we can grow together and we can continue to develop our relationship and build up our church and maybe build those bonds between our Protestant brothers and sisters and us who are Catholic. And there was, as I said, a lot of skepticism, but luckily I think that we had some good uh, words by some popes to be able to encourage us. Um, Pope Paul VI was the first one who called the charismatic renewal a chance for the church and the world And then Pope John Paul II described the charismatic renewal as a bold statement of what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And there was a lot of different theologians who kind of came out and talked about how the the judgments that are confirmed by the admirable fruits of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, observable in transformed lives, a new hunger for the Word of God, a new love of prayer, a new generosity in the service of others, and a rediscovery of Christian community and evangelization. And so now, the charismatic renewal was about seeing what original, that little Pentecost, that Pentecost happened, and where can that apply in our lives now. And so they sought to be able to see to see what maybe we had forgotten from our past. Um, So there's a lot of different aspects of the charismatic renewal besides just the spirituality. Some of it is the charismatic covenant communities where people live in intentional community with each other to kind of cultivate the the, um, gifts and the charisms because we aren't an individual people. We are a communal people. And if my gift is to help a community, is to help the church, I need to be able to cultivate that with a community. And so they established some of what... They tried to model, I think, a lot of their communities off of the early Christian communities and be able to pray together, to be able to share their lives together in a much more intimate way than our modern society, our industrialized society was allowing for at that time. Um, luck, uh, I, I mentioned how that sprang out of Duquesne and the Spiritans. Well, one of the first places that the charismatic renewal spread was actually Notre Dame. And in fact, that's, I, I believe, one of the charismatic communities is still here, the People of Praise, which is an ecumenical organization, a group to be able to um, uh, live this life together. Uh, One of my RAs, uh, Tom Barron, I I live in one of the undergrad dorms working with them. He actually was a member of People of Praise. And he would talk about the kind of relational community, the prayer meetings that they would have to be able to cultivate their own faith lives and their own charismatic gifts together. I just wanted to say that um, Brian was talking about how uh, the covenanted communities sort of came came about because it was very difficult to live a Christian life and to really cultivate these, these um, gifts within the secular world. And that's actually, I think, one of the reasons why the um, charismatic renewal has, um, has really occurred and that the Holy Spirit was like, really wanting to burst forth because actually there's a lot of, um, you know, difficulty and strife within our world, a lot of secularism and the communities within our Christian world actually have changed quite a bit. And so we actually need to have more of a mission spirit and an evan- a spirit of evangelization. And that requires gifts that help to build up the church, thus the charismatic gifts. Yeah. And so kind of talking about those aspects, I just want to share a little bit about kind of myself and my own experiences and where I see this. Um, 
Right now, I, I live in Notre Dame, so I don't live in a covenant community in the sense of a charismatic renewal, though I grew up with a lot of uh, people who had experienced covenant communities. I also lived in Minnesota, where I was part of Community of Christ the Redeemer, which was a uh, covenant community there. And I experienced kind of my baptism by the Holy Spirit in high school, uh, where I was really able to feel the fullness of God in me. And how I'd be able to describe that is uh, during my time, um, I had grown up Catholic, uh, but there was always something kind of in me that didn't really... I would say I wasn't really turning my faith over to God. It was still all about me. I was kind of in a very dark place. Um, and luckily, uh, during a time of adoration, I was calling for the Holy Spirit to be with inside me, to fill me. And during that moment, and the Holy Spirit opened himself, well, I opened myself up to the Holy Spirit. And I could tell the difference, and I felt a battle inside of me. And I felt a battle between who I used to be and this acceptance of the Holy Spirit to be guiding my actions. Um, and I had luckily people who were there for me to pray over me, to call upon the Holy Spirit, and to be there part of this community to eventually help me make that decision for the Holy Spirit to fill, fill, uh, to fill me. And from that, that time, um, part of what I've found my calling to be is to be able to uh, share, share my faith and do that teaching aspect of the, that we talked about in charisms. I actually traveled around the country doing evangelization work to be able to try to help younger, um, younger Christians develop their own spiritual lives. And one of the things that we talked about out there is the importance of going by twos, kind of how Jesus was sent out. Uh, so Jesus sent out the apostles and the disciples by two. Because a lot of people fear that when you open yourself up to the Spirit, how do you know? How do you confirm what is from the Spirit and what is from yourself? And a good way to recognize that is by having that companion or living in a community that supports your pursuit of charismatic gifts. Because having this companion to be able to help you discern what is from the Spirit and what is from yourself is kind of crucial. Um, because otherwise, without this kind of community aspect, we, we would be lost because we need to see the fruits. And if we don't have a community, then we can't tell what these fruits are going to be. Um, one of our, and to kind of, I was actually looking through this, and one of our early church fathers, again, pro pronunciation, Joseph Haziah, uh, who was in the early seven, 700s, who was a great Syrian mystic, he talked about the Holy Spirit being a sensible movement and an inflamed motion. And he identified five signs of kind of baptism by the Holy Spirit and movement with the Spirit. One being love of God that burns in the heart of a person like fire. One being true humility. Another Having your, ha, thinking about people as if people were dwelling in your own heart, such that tears flow from your eyes like fountains of water. Four, the illuminated vision of your mind. And uh, finally, which I forgot to highlight that part. Um, oh, and I always am curious about how to interpret this part. Uh, a holy scent and taste which 
Leads. Sometimes people talk about being able to smell roses when they are yeah. very cognizant of the presence of Our Lady. That and, could be it. <laughs> yeah, and so where um, and and the reason why I find that part interesting is part of my charismatic spirituality is prayer with my whole body, um, and I think that's something that's very important. And also, uh, a lot of people do this, but in a different type of way. Um, a lot of people grow, grew up to pray with their hands like this, the traditional little hand holding, or I don't really know what to call it, folded the hand. folded hands, um, which is great if it means something to you. Uh, for myself, uh, as I continue to grow in my faith and learning Part of what the charismatic movement brought me and charismatic spirituality was that my whole body was part of my prayer. And God wanted all of me. And kind of being able to discern him with what I see here is this holy scent or unholy taste. Um, and being able to talk to God with everything. And so... That's why in my spirituality, my own faith life, where I find using my hands to be able to pray to God, being able to dance before the Lord as King David did uh, in early scripture, to be able to just be with him and use my entire body as part of my prayer, not just my mind, not just my words, it became very important to me. So I wanted to share a little bit of my, my experience. So I grew up in um, a, what I'll call a conventionally Catholic family. Um, so we just went to the um, vernacular Novus Ordo Mass, uh, which is just, you know, your regular everyday Mass um, in English since it's here in America. And... Um, and my, my family is actually quite a bit, they, they were very skeptical of the charismatic movement. Um, and and I, I, especially for them, they, they saw the charismatic movement as being rooted in emotion. And to them, a charismatic, a faith rooted in, in emotion is really building your house on the sand. And I completely agree. If Emotions, they come and go. And if your faith is really rooted on emotion, um, then as your emotions ebb, then so will your faith. And so that is not a good way of living your faith. Um, and so as I grew up, I would call that I was a faithful Catholic growing up, um, but I would call this, I was, I was living... Um, a faith of conviction. And I think that's actually a really good, strong type of faith. It's really beautiful. Um, but it was really just of my own knowledge of what the Lord and who the Lord is um, and a little less of actual experience of who he is. Um, and when I got into college, I went to the um, Franciscan University of Steubenville, uh, which is Probably the best place in the entire world, I will say. <laughs> Although some people argue with me on that one. Um, I think it was the best place in the entire world. <laughs> and so I got there, and actually I was a little bit embarrassed because my family was like, oh, you're going to that university with all those charismaniacs. Like, what's going on here? And, um, and so I was a little bit, you know, um, worried about praying with um, with the spiritual community at Franciscan because they they do a lot of um, praise and worship uh, which is you know kind of more upbeat songs and people are not afraid to like lift their hands into the air and to shout out things about you know praising the Lord and um, they're not afraid to dance and they're suddenly bursting out in tears sometimes and it was just a little bit strange and I had never experienced that and was like this is totally faith by emotion but then as I grew um, with these people I realized they're not living their faith by mere emotion. Um, they really have a true conviction that is, that is also accompanied um, by the fullness of their person. And when I say that, I mean that it's not just their mind and it's not just their spirit and their soul, but they are incorporating their body. So they're incorporating their actions and the physiological emotions, which are a gift of God, into their faith. They're incorporating both their will and their reason and their emotion and body 
in, to create something that is a perfect whole, praising the Lord. And I realized, wow, that's actually something I want. Um, but I was still really, like, kind of nervous about the whole charismatic movement. It wasn't until my junior year, um, my first semester, we all went off to Austria. And there's something about going abroad when you are from the United States um, that you're just sort of like, this is an enchanting place. And everything is new and different, and you begin to experience the world in an entirely different way. And it's not that your senses have changed or that your ideas of the world have entirely been overthrown, but that they're being enriched. And this was where I really found an enrichment enrichment of the Holy Spirit and of God in my life. Um, and so we had some various praise and worship that was also accompanying um, uh, adoration. And I will say that at Franciscan um, adoration is very respectfully accompanied by praise and worship. Um, there, there's no chaos um, if if you're concerned about that. Um, but anyways, uh, it was really, truly, I'm like watching the Eucharist and the priest is actually pr processing down the aisle um, of, of our little chapel and he's blessing every, every aisle. And I just kept praying. I was like, Lord, please be present in my soul and incorporate my entire being so that I will be fully and completely able to worship and praise you. And as our Lord came, and I was like, this is the moment, Lord, like, do it. <laughs> and, like, as he came, I truly did feel an absolute, like, filling of my person. And it's not as though it was entirely emotionally based. It, it really, truly wasn't. This was something I was cognizant of. This was something I was willing. This was something I was praying for. And then it was something that was accomplished, even in my body, by the accompanying of some emotion. So um, that, that's sort of my experience of the charismatic movement as I, as I came forward. I don't, I don't live in a covenanted, covenanted community, um, nor do I necessarily plan on it, although that's not off the table. But, um, but I like to live with the presence of the Holy Spirit like in, in my heart and trying to be cognizant of him in all his various ways and aspects. Um, and, and so that's kind of charismatic spirituality has accompanied my sort of conventional practice of the faith. So like one thing that Nicole and I do with our friend uh, Elena, who is not here right now, and we've pulled in some of her roommates as well, is we'll gather on Sundays for prayer, specifically intercessory prayer, where we just spend an hour with a topic and we just ask the Holy Spirit to be with us and to share and to be able to inspire our prayer for that specific topic and being able to just talk and pray together and really concentrate on praying over either that person, that situation, um, and seeing what God has to say to us, as well as what do we need, what do we feel we need to say and ask God for. Uh, and I think that's a little way that we've incorporated our charismatic histories into our lives currently, since neither of us are currently part of a covenant community. It's a real building of the community of the church as a whole, I think, um, because we're, we're there spiritually with all of our Catholic and Christian and, and actually all of humanity, like brothers and sisters, <laughs> we're, we're there um, spiritually. So it is a beautiful expression. So hopefully that's kind of helped going quickly through the 2,000 years of being a charismatic. Um, but my last couple of thoughts are being charismatic, from what I said in the very beginning, is about developing and focusing on a relationship with the Holy Spirit to fill you up, to give you the gifts to be able to build up his church. And secondly, then there's the charismatic renewal, which is a modern thing that was aimed to help bring about that Pentecost, that little Pentecost into each individual person. So to be able to, one, distinguish that, but to know from that first perspective that I think we're all called to have the charismatic movement within us, the charismatic graces of God, 
And I would say that the early church fathers agree with me there, so hopefully not that much of a claim. Before we go into small groups, one of the prayer that the Spiritans said um, at the opening of their retreat before the charismatic renewal is something that many of us may know. So before we have our own little discussions, I would just like to enter into that prayer. Uh, So if you could bow your heads with me. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and they shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever enjoy his consolations Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, Thank you very much. Uh, I learned a lot from that. It was very helpful. Um, So I was wondering about, this question is for either of you, what you see as being the connection between the idea of praying to the Holy Spirit and having a relationship with the Holy Spirit and asking for the charismatic gifts and some of the things that you talked about at the end about using your whole body in prayer and praying in a more spontaneous and upbeat way and praise and worship and those kinds of things. Um, do you have any thoughts on how those things are connected? Sure, I'll let Brian take this first. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Nicole. <laughs> so, for me... Um, when, when you ask this question, the first thing that comes to mind is the phrase that maybe many of you guys were taught from CCD or Catholic education school, but that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's always like one of the mantras of Catholic education nowadays. But it strikes me because that's where I see like praising with why praising with my body and praying with my body as so important to relationship with the Holy Spirit is because it's true. This body was given to me by God and it is a house and a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so when I praise with my full body, it is in a unique, unique way connected to the Holy Spirit uh, just because this is this is a place where the Holy Spirit wants to reside, um, and so for myself, I find that type of prayer to uh, be able to connect me um, with the Holy Spirit more and being able to be more open to Him. Uh, also, with spontaneous prayer and I guess spontaneity in general, it. I think spontaneity is a good word, but it's also very tied with humility because being able to let go of your structure, your desire, and say, I'm going to humble myself before the Lord and just let the Lord use me as he sees fit, it comes off as spontaneity, but really it's an expression of humility because you're allowing the spirit to speak through you and use you as an instrument for your prayer as well. And so that's, I guess, I don't know if that helps for how I see the body connection as well as the spontaneous connection. Um, It's that combination of that willingness to be open as well as the house of God. Okay, and I think what I'm going to add is that um, I don't think that these th- these two things, like asking the Holy Spirit to come and asking for these gifts, is actually intrinsically linked to um, a physical expression within prayer. Um, as far as like uh, being very upbeat or um, you know being physically express- expressive with your hands dancing or, or something of that nature. So I don't think it's intrinsically linked. However, I think that um, the charismatic gifts are meant for the community. And the way that we communicate with other people is through our body, either through words um, or through actions, at least most commonly. And because charismatic gifts are meant for the community, then you have to express them, at least in some manner, through your body. So when you become used to that, when you become used to letting the Holy Spirit move through your body, um, 
even in just some conventional ways, um, then you actually can become more used to a more free expression within your prayer because it's, it, it can be linked to a docility towards the Holy Spirit. So I do want to say that it's not intrinsically linked in my mind, um, but as you become um, more used to allowing the Holy Spirit just to move through you freely um, with the gifts of the Holy Spirit through the community, that that also sometimes is accompanied with more spontaneous prayer. So I think it's just sort of a reiteration of what Brian was saying. Hi, thank you for your talk. Um, my kind of introduction to the Holy Spirit was um, in preparation for the Sacrament of Confirmation, where you learn about um, the descent of the Holy Spirit and coming into your life. I'm wondering um, how this sacrament might tie into some of the things that you talked about um, and what, it, what role it played in your life. Thank you. Right. So... Um, Perhaps we didn't emphasize this enough, but um, the charismatic gifts and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I should probably say that in reverse, baptism of the Holy Spirit and the charismatic gifts um, are, are really only, they're, they're very much linked, and, and I think they have to be linked to the sacraments of initiation within the church, that those being baptism, uh, Eucharist, and confirmation. So... Um, Oftentimes, at least for me, when, when I was confirmed, it was very much a faith of conviction still and, and understanding that the Holy Spirit has come and that he is dwelling within me and that there will be fruits that, that are, are born from this. But it still wasn't, um, I think for me, it still wasn't a full expression in, in my person of what the Holy Spirit really truly could do um, because I hadn't cultivated a deep relationship with him, nor had I asked for it, which is kind of funny because you're talking about the Holy Spirit and he should come and he should give you all these things, but I really hadn't asked. I really hadn't said, Holy Spirit, like move in me as you did the apostles. That had not been my prayer. It had sort of been like, oh, I'm going to be confirmed. This is really great and I need those graces. And that's kind of where it ended. Um, so... So I think that that uh, I've heard the analogy that like the sacraments deposit the grace and the Holy Spirit within your person, um, like you might. <laughs> this is a really silly analogy. Like you might put chocolate syrup into milk to make chocolate milk, and then as you accept the Holy Spirit personally and really ask for him to be moving through you and in you in your life, it's sort of like a stirring of the chocolate syrup. So like previously, there's the chocolate syrup. It totally is there, but it's not entirely incorporated into the milk. And then once you stir it, it becomes chocolatey and wonderful and very good. <laughs> um, so that's kind of how I see... <laughs> that's kind of how I see um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the charismatic... Uh, expression of the faith sort of linked to baptism and confirmation and um, the Eucharist, which they are incredibly important, obviously, and essential. Uh, I, I by no means am a theology major or anything like that, but I think this also comes to a lot of the question of uh, how we do the sacraments of initiation, why some people think confirmation and, uh, and baptism should happen pretty much at the same time. Um, and I also think it's kind of talked about why should we have infant baptism or should we wait till they're adults? I think there's kind of a lot of those questions, that kind of connection of if you're not ready to stir the chocolate milk, um, should we even be pouring the syrup in yet? Um, or, and, I, and I think there's, there's a lot of questions that. For, for myself also, uh, when I had my confirmation, um, it was really my decision to be confirmed was because I didn't want anyone to think that I doubted the faith not because I wanted to be confirmed. Um, so my confirmation, unfortunately, like it didn't mean a whole ton of a lot to me at that time. 
Um, and I think that it did, though, help prepare me in the end for being open to the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the charisms of the Holy Spirit. And it definitely, I saw God work through my confirmation uh, in many ways. Um, it, for example, it, ju- it, it brought me a person into my life, my, my sponsor, who I still stay in contact with today. Uh, it, it developed that relationship. I actually specifically chose him as a sponsor because I didn't know him very well. Um, and by the end, when I was ready to accept my faith, he was in formation to become a deacon. And that relationship really was able to be utilized at that point. So I think God prepared me in that way, though my confirmation itself, like from a charismatic gift perspective, um, it was, it was a sacrament in my life, but it wasn't a moment where I was connecting with God, unfortunately, besides what he, he was connecting with me. I was not open to it at that time fully. So, I have one more thing to add that um, many people do experience an, a, an incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit at, at confirmation. And, and when I say that, of course, there's always an outpouring of the Holy Spirit at confirmation. It is a sacrament. We know um, by conviction that he is present and is absolutely essential. Um, so there is no like, oh, baptism of the Holy Spirit, like trumps a sacrament or something of that nature. This is not true at all because it is sort of only by relationship with that, that sacrament that there is baptism of the Holy Spirit at all. Um, so, but many people do experience at confirmation this um, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And my older sister was actually one of them. Um, she really was like, totally entrenched in the faith at that moment for her. Like, that was a turning point. So, um, and, and she would totally be fine with me sharing that. Um, <laughs> just so you guys know. Um, so, I hope that somewhat answered your question. And, and one thing I just wanted to confirm um, that kind of in, in my book, one of, one of the things that these authors discuss is in the early church, the initiation and charisms were very much connected. Um, and he, he talks about how there's a lot of reasons for that sever. Uh, and part of it was the gifts themselves kind of coming under, part of it was the infancy baptism, but also things coming under suspect themselves of, for example, the, the gift of, of prophecy. Um, people not wanting, people wanting it to almost be more formalized. People wanting to things to be more controlled, I guess, uh, and a lot of time you can't control God, and so when you want that, I think there's, there starts to be this separation, um, but it used, it used to be that the expectation was when you had these sacraments of initiation, the charismatic gifts manifested it as well. It's only more kind of medieval on that they became very distinct, though not intrinsically so, obviously, since they began that way. Sorry. Really enjoyed the talk, guys. Thank you. Um, I would just like to uh, put in a little plug. Um, I think uh, praise and worship is uh, an amazing way to pray to the Lord. Um, and I personally know uh, a lot of people think, oh, Catholics, they don't sing. Or, they don't, you know. Uh, and so um, I, I'm a part of the Little Flower Young Adult Group. My name is Ben, by the way. Hello, everyone. Um, and I uh, helped to um, form an event. Praise and Worship Night, uh, it's once a month, um, every third Thursday at Little Flower um, on Ironwood. And so this Thursday, actually, we're going to be having Praise and Worship, and so I'd just like to invite uh, everyone to come. And uh, if you're uncomfortable, I, uh, I'd like to just really suggest it, because um, I think there's something powerful about just glorifying the Lord in song, and it's definitely deep in my faith, and I think it will for, for others. So, uh, sorry, 8 o'clock, 8 p.m., um, a little flower. So please join us. Uh, yeah, I agree with that statement. <laughs>
Um, so I have a question about, um, I know you said that being a charismatic, you don't have to feel it necessarily, but if you are in a, in a period of spiritual dryness, mm -hmm. can you still really fully enter into to a, a, a charismatic spirituality? Well, seeing as how uh, one of the charismatic gifts is administration work. <laughs> you would have to. Yeah, you're going to have to figure out how to be able to do that. Um, some people anyway. really enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, some people may Most really enjoy it, that. but not myself. Uh, and I think, especially for, um, I know a lot that many of you may be grad students, many of you may be teachers, um, and I think you can identify yourself with times when your work your, to teach may not be always the most fulfilling, the most emotionally like satisfying thing to do. Um, and I think those are the times when you pray for that gift in particular, because God can definitely use you in as his instrument not just not because of just because you're in a period of dryness doesn't mean um that gift is empty um there can i i i think of you know there are days when i wake up to, uh, so i'm teaching calc 3 right now um and i definitely wake up some days and i'm like i don't know why i'm going to get out of bed because I don't want to teach Lagrange multipliers because that's long and tedious. Um, but I definitely know, at least from the test results, the students learned the material. So obviously I was somewhat able to use my gift on that topic. Uh, so I think that you can use those different gifts that God has given you even when you may be at a period of dryness, even though that's a silly example right there. So um, my thoughts on this are that um, even, so a lot of times when people experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and it really is accompanied with certain joy, like joyous emotions, right? Um, but, and it's easy to sort of ride on the, the skirts of those emotions, but your, your faith um, still needs to mature. And uh, your understanding of the gifts and the work of the Holy Spirit still need to mature. So this is still something that um, you, you work on and cultivate as, um, is, is, is a part of your faith of conviction as well. So um, you do go through periods of dryness, and that's going to be in any, any person's um, faith. There will be these per periods of dryness, and, and our Lord needs to teach us not to simply rely on consolation or be, be addicted to the consolation of you know, the religious emotions that go along with things. Um, and um, so how, how, I think the question was, how do you live that out? How do you live out a charismatic spirituality? It's, it's by faith that the Holy Spirit is there when you call and when you ask. And by faith that the Holy Spirit does work within you and give you um, the graces and gifts that are needed for that time and that situation. So um, there is an element of, um, of definite like conviction and faith. And that's why I was saying charismatic spirituality is not simply emotionality. Charismatic spirituality is often sometimes accompanied um, by emotionality, but it and it will but it will not always be, and nor nor should you only express it within those emotions. It should be a true cultivation of a true relationship with the Holy Spirit and a faith that He's there when we call, and a faith that He works through us. All right, let's thank our speakers.